Jesus put to his disciples an utterly essential question, what might be in, in some ways the most central question we ever have to face, as he asks them, who am I? Jesus of Nazareth, who you are following as disciples, who am I? We hear that he puts it to them first as, who do all those people out there, who do they say that I am? And we hear from the responses that people, the disciples have heard people talking and saying that he's some sort of prophet, which means they're beginning to understand. And yet that isn't nearly all the way to the truth of what Jesus wants to show them. Because what the disciples have to recognize and what we too have to recognize is that Jesus isn't just one more of anything. He isn't just one more good teacher, one more religious leader, one more philosopher. He isn't just one more prophet. He is all these things, and yet we recognize that who and what he is is truly one of a kind, the only one. There is no one else who is truly what he is. And thus it is Peter who says, you are the Christ. The Christ from the Greek, Messiah from the Hebrew, both of them meaning anointed. Under the old covenant, priests and prophets and kings would often be anointed as an outward sign and also an inward strengthening of this office, this life of service and this position that they were going to live out. But the people of Israel had come to look toward not just one more prophet or priest or king, but a particular one, a particular king, a particular descendant of King David, one special anointed above all who they were looking toward for God to send to save them and set them free. This is who Peter recognized Jesus was. This anointed one, this Messiah, this one Christ that they had been waiting for. He recognized that this is who was standing in front of them. And it is true. And Jesus invites all of us to reflect in our minds, to contemplate in our hearts, and to know for ourselves who he is. God made man the only begotten Son of God, the one and only. To know this to be true. And yet, isn't it strange that having then received this true answer to the central question from St. Peter, that Jesus then said, don't tell anybody about this. What a strange thing to say. Why would he say it? Probably, we, and we see the answer sort of woven into the rest of the conversation, probably because as everyone was waiting for the Messiah, many of them had a very specific idea of what this Messiah was going to be and do, and it was a wrong idea, and it was going to cause problems. Many, not all, but many, 
or expecting a king who would be a great military leader, who would organize an army, who would fight against and overthrow the Roman Empire and reestablish the independent kingdom of Israel with himself as their king. With this as the expectation, if the disciples had gone around saying, hey, the Christ we're waiting for, he's here, what would have happened? Well, first of all, you can be sure that the Roman Empire would have acted very quickly to stomp this out. They didn't want any talk of any Messiah there in Israel. And secondly, all the people who heard this message probably would have done what the disciples did which is to get so fixed on their idea of what was going to happen that they actually stop listening to what Jesus is saying. Because all they're doing is fixed on their imagination of what they think is going to happen. And we see that Jesus has to unfold for the disciples that things are going to be very different than they think. He talks about how he will suffer greatly he will be killed. He will rise after three days. Had he explained it all at that moment, he might have said something like this. He might have said, you expect me to come and to face the enemy. And I will, but it will be a far greater enemy than you imagine, not just the Roman Empire. You expect me to set you free from domination and slavery and to make you a free people. And I will, but it'll be even bigger than you think. It's not just a foreign empire I'm going to set you free from. It's slavery to sin and death and Satan. I'm not just going to make you an independent nation. I'm going to make you a nation of saints, spiritual giants. It's not just you this one people I'm going to set free, it's going to be the whole world, indeed the entire universe. And as thus I lead you into a battle that is far greater than you imagined, guess what? We're going to go about it a different way. Taking up weapons and charging out to fight people physically isn't the way we're going to win this battle. It's going to be far different. I'm going to give myself up to suffering and execution because that's the way we're going to win this battle. That's the way we're going to defeat this enemy. That's the way we're going to gain the kind of freedom that you're looking for. And we heard what Peter said. He pulled him aside. Lord, no. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't think that. That's not what's going to happen. And you know, it took a long time for the message to sink in. In the coming weeks, we're going to hear about how the disciples were arguing with themselves, which one of us is the greatest? Or then there'll be James and John saying, okay, Lord, when you establish your kingdom, hey, would you give us the top two positions on your right and your left? And Jesus is saying, we're probably saying with him, guys, don't you get the message yet? Why don't you listen to him? He's headed to the cross. And you're his apostles. Why don't you hear what he's saying? But it can be so easy to shake our heads at them 2,000 years ago. 
but don't we end up sometimes falling into the same thing? Maybe we want to say to the Lord sometimes, Lord, I, I look around the world, I see horrible, dangerous, evil things happening out in the world, and, you know, I thought things were going to get better. I see terrible things in our own country, maybe even persecution coming for us who follow you. I thought, I thought things were supposed to go the right way. You know, Lord, in my marriage, sometimes my spouse and I disagree or get on each other's nerves. Wasn't marriage supposed to be perfect bliss and fulfillment? My children, sometimes they wake me up in the middle of the night or they don't listen to what I say or they even seem to try to anger me on purpose. Weren't they supposed to be perfect angels to show how a great parent I was? My brothers and sisters, my classmates, the people at work, my boss, they treat me badly. They don't seem to recognize me as a person or what I'm doing. They make it hard. Wasn't this supposed to be an unending success? We say that, don't we? But how could we expect those things when Jesus said, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me? Jesus came to this world to love and to invite us to love. And in this world afflicted by sin and suffering, it's probably impossible to love very long or very hard without entering into suffering ourselves. Now probably there's a distinction to be made here. We know we say in the Gospels that Jesus heals and sets free. And there are certain kinds of suffering in our life that he will want to transform or even remove to set us free from them because they're the work of the evil one to keep us separated from God. But having worked on that in our lives, he then will invite us to enter freely into different suffering. I think there's a difference between the two. There's the kind that keeps us bound and separated from God, but then there's the other kind that like every apostle and every saint, he says, will you take up this cross and enter into this life and action of love with me, freely, with dignity? Will you do this cooperating with me in the project of salvation? Suffering so often seems to go with love. And perhaps we can see at least two connections. One is that when we love and encounter suffering and have to make a choice to keep going or to pull back and choose to keep going, then that strengthens and purifies our love, doesn't it? It becomes a tool by which he changes us and makes us saints. But then on the flip side, it also becomes a sort of a testimony, 
a demonstration, as we heard from St. James, where the actions demonstrate the faith, and where others, seeing and even receiving our love that they see involve suffering, come to recognize that, yes, there really is true love in this world. We really do love them. Christ really does love them through us. And this is how the battle is waged and won. And so as we hear these words again, this, this is what it means to be disciple. It's not a life free from suffering, but it's a life with Jesus, agreeing to love, accepting the suffering. So we keep on loving as a priest, as a father and husband, as a wife and mother, cooperating with him, and knowing that in so doing, we truly find ourselves, just as Jesus said that we would. And we know where this is leading, don't we? It is leading to the glory of the resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth, in which he makes all things new. We come to this Mass, as to every Mass, where our Lord Jesus will make himself present on the altar, offering himself in loving sacrifice to the Father, having chosen love, even at the cost of suffering. He invites us, and let us in our hearts do this, those ways in which we have chosen love and borne the suffering in our hearts. Let's put those on the altar with him. Offering this as a beautiful gift to the Father. Knowing that in this we have found ourselves and continuing to say yes. Yes, I receive your love. And yes, in my life, I will love as well.